Hello and welcome to the Political Notebook Podcast. I'm Billy Robb. I'm a high school teacher. And I'm Robert Robb, an editorial columnist for the Arizona Republic and Billy's dad. On this episode of the Political Notebook, I want to continue election 2020 series coverage and analysis of campaigns playing out in Arizona, including the ballot initiatives that may go before voters this upcoming November. Uh, Last week, we talked about just the landscape and the things, the big things that are shaping uh, this upcoming election. This week on today's episode, I want to talk about the Senate primaries. Republican Martha McSally, uh, sitting senator, has a challenger. Um, Democratic uh, candidate Mark Kelly does not have a challenger. So I want to talk about uh, those dynamics today. But first, though, uh, we're recording this just after... uh, Governor Ducey did a, a press conference about COVID-19 updates, um, and I just want to talk about that briefly before talking about the Senate uh, races. And I, I haven't agreed with Ducey on everything uh, that he's done, especially his decision to attend the indoor Trump rally. I think that would have been a good time for him to distance himself from, from Trump on the pandemic response. But he did say something today uh, that uh, he's, he's not listening to criticism. He said that last time, but he emphasized he's not listening to the shutdown lobby. He's not listening to the what he called the uh, the government can't tell me what to do lobby, um, and that he's doing what's what he thinks is right for Arizona. There's, there's a lot of critics out there. And if I listened to all my critics, I wouldn't have any time to focus on this pandemic. I'm going to make the best possible decisions informed by public health, do the right thing, and do my best. And um, I know a lot of people right now don't believe Ducey when he, when he says he's trying to do the right thing, and, and he's getting a lot of criticism for uh, everything that he's doing. Uh, and, and agree or disagree, I, I just think personally that from what I've seen, what I, I think he is acting on his own conscience. And I do believe him when he says uh, that he's that he's acting in the in the best interest of the state. I believe that's generally true. I mean, I think any politician um, views events through a political lens. It's simply natural, and that political considerations um, are taken into account. I don't know that there's any um, unadulterated uh, politician. Um, but I don't think politics have trumped any of his decisions about managing uh, the COVID-19 outbreak. Uh, I think in the final analysis, he has done what he thinks is best for the state. Uh, and as I've made clear in columns, although I've been critical of some of his actions, uh, and have questioned whether he has the legal authority for everything that he has ordered. Uh, I do think generally Arizona is in a much better position with respect to the management of COVID-19 and balancing that with um, preserving uh, jobs and, and the ability to engage in some degree of social interaction for people. Um, I think the balance has actually been pretty good. Uh, We're in a um, sticky place, 
Uh, and uh, whether that characterization um, stands the test of time is very much open uh, to question. Uh, but at least so far, I think Ducey has generally done a decent job of balancing all of the considerations and managing the state through the COVID-19 outbreak. Um, and I believe that his decisions have been overwhelmingly, if not exclusively, uh, mo been motivated by what he thinks is best for the state. And in no case uh, do I believe that politics have trumped um, what he thinks is best for the state, balancing the economy, the ability to socially enact, interact to a certain degree, uh, and reducing adverse effects um, from the virus itself. And this is uh, not, not going away completely any anytime soon. So we'll, um, it'll continue to be a, to be a factor uh, through these, uh, through these elections uh, and, and beyond. Uh, there is still politics uh, going on and campaigning still going on. And I want to talk about first the Senate uh, primary uh, on the, on the Republican side, there's, uh, there's a challenger. Uh, Daniel McCarthy is uh, is uh, running against uh, Mick Sally. She's not uh, debated him. I, th I think it's an interesting dynamic right now in in the Republican Party that uh, kind of you know Trump ran four years ago as an outsider, as a challenger to the to the establishment. Um, but now he's the incumbent, and it's kind of like Trumpism is 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 the establishment right now um, in the Republican Party and and in the in the party as a whole. Um, I spent some time watching um, some of his camp campaign videos and, and some of his, listened to some of his interviews, read through some of his uh, social media. I'm just going to share some of my observations and then and then just get your uh, get your take on the race. Uh, seems like he's he does have enthusiasm uh, from his supporters. He seems to have a genuine and authentic connection with his supporters. Um, he does talk, in my opinion, convincingly about constitutional conservatism, and it seems like. Um, he does know what he, what he's talking about, uh, on, on that subject. Um, and one thing I thought interesting looking through his Facebook page, is he, he doesn't talk and, and people don't talk that much about Trump. It seems more about the, uh, the issues and the sort of the philosophy that he's campaigning on rather than just kind of like this cult of Trump. So I think that's, um, to me, I think that's interesting, um, and you know there are yes there are some conspiratorial elements among his supporters they're they're fiercely anti-mask wearing uh, I mean that's, that's I don't think that's funny necessarily but it's it's uh, it seems like uh, that resistance kind of binds them together as a as a coalition uh, and it's kind of like symbolic for them and and they're call, calling it out a lot of them think that. The, the whole COVID-19 thing is a hoax. Um, but he seems to me, he seems to be taking advantage of, of, of some of the factors that, that Trump did. He's kind of trolling the, the elites of, of conservatism, conservative party. Now, um, he was widely mocked by the left and right when he went on the interview with, with Bram Resnick, uh, a couple months ago. Uh, but it was, I mean, to me, it was like, kind of like entertaining. Um, and it, he, watching some of his videos, he does have sort of a, uh, just kind of a lighthearted kind of connection to his uh, supporters, but he's very, uh, very fierce and persistent, and, and they kind of get that from him. 
And unlike Trump, I, I think he does have some, you know, moral grounding and, and understanding of, of the Constitution. Here he is on uh, the Broomhead show uh, earlier this week. I'm a limited government, individual rights, constitutionalist. I'm never going to lean on the idea of creating more government policy to get out of a problem. I am not a big government. I'm a small government advocate. I'm greatly concerned that, frankly, I think the Republican Party over the years has continuously shifted further and further to the left. Uh, And I represent that, let's just say, old school constitutional conservatism that I think a lot of people came to Arizona for. So what are your thoughts on uh, the dynamics right now in the Republican Party in Arizona, especially what's going on in in this Senate race? Well, I I must confess that you have um, looked into McCarthy's candidacy at considerably greater depth than I have uh, so far, which um, may be a reflection of what I'm about to say. Um, Martha McSally has succeeded. Uh, in largely uniting the Republican Party um, behind her candidacy. Uh, In 2018, she was regarded as the establishment candidate, more of the John McCain wing of the party uh, here in Arizona, and had faced a strong challenge from uh, Kelly Ward, uh, who um, was a state senator, Uh, and uh, sort of represented the Trump insurgency, although she never garnered uh, Trump's um, support. Uh, Right now, McSally is the candidate of both the old establishment McCain wing of the Arizona Republican Party and the Trump wing. Um, She uh, set out to make herself... uh, part of um, the Trump governing team. Uh, And I think that has some negative consequences for her, particularly in a general election. Uh, But I think it succeeded in um, largely making her primary uh, significantly less consequential um, than the 2018 primary was. So do you think... uh I know I don't. I haven't seen any polls about that. But if you had to make a prediction, uh, how big of a dent do you think McCarthy's going to make in the uh, in the primary? Well, these are the sort of questions that <laughs> it's always dangerous to answer because it's you make a record of it, uh, yeah. and and uh, the chances are you're wrong. But if he gets over twenty five percent of the vote. Uh, I would be surprised, and it would suggest a uh, larger problem uh, for McSally among uh, the Republican faithful, the Republicans that actually vote in a primary. So anything over 25% for him, I think, would represent additional general election problems for McSally, of which um, she already has a multitude. So the way the way you described her as kind of sounded like the her herself is is a uniting figure in 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 the Republican Party in Arizona do you think that the Republican Party in general is uh unified or do you think there are I mean I know there's like a um um 
there are some primaries in the in the in the state legislative uh, campaigns that kind of pit, uh, you know, more hard hardcore conservatives against against moderates. Do you think that is a as a growing fissure, or do you think those are just um, just the just the typical uh, interparty uh, disputes that that take place? The 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 moderate versus conservative fight um, at the state legislative level uh, is actually. Um, manifests itself in far fewer races this time than if you go back 10, uh, 20 years, where that was a feature of a substantial number of Republican primaries. It's only a handful of them that you have that ideological difference. But no, I don't think the Republican Party is at all unified um, because Trump is not a unifying figure and he is the dominant personality. So I think there is a underlying tension within the Republican Party nationally. It exists in Arizona, uh, but I think McSally has succeeded uh, in uh, bridging and uh, unifying all the factions behind the sole proposition that she should be the Republican nominee for U.S. Senate this time around. What do you make of these conspiratorial elements of of the party? I mean, you've got these um, people, you know, they're fiercely anti-mask that um, basically think that the coronavirus is is a hoax by the um, by the Democrats to try to undermine Trump. And you have a growing wing. You have a grow uh, a growing. QAnon conspiracy theorist thing that's, um, you know, it's about this this belief in this deep state and it's kind of religious and it's, uh, it's, it's strange. <laughs> uh, but it seems like that sort of, uh, that dynamic is pretty strong, uh, at least not an insignificant force in, in the party. What do you... Uh, are those kind of elements things that just pop up from time to time and it'll 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 uh, go away or is that is that a concern if you talk about legitimacy of you know or the health of a party I, I do believe that those elements are still um, uh, insignificant um, I mean Martha McSally uh, is likely to be um, the nominee by an overwhelming uh, margin um, in 20 um, 18, uh, she won the primary fairly handedly as the perceived establishment candidate. Um, John McCain was run against by uh, people with strong support from those kind of forces um, several times, and it all came up very, very short. I mean, the, the two, the, 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 can, the, the Republican candidates for U.S. Senate in recent history have been John McCain, John Kyle, uh, Jeff Flake and Martha McSally. Um, those aren't the first choices of the people that you describe. And I think all political parties uh, attract uh, fringe elements. Um, it is politics is a way that fringe elements express themselves. It attracts passion. Uh, I, but I don't think that, that ultimately they have significant influences on either party, and I don't see any evidence that they've had any significant influence on the Republican Party in Arizona. 
So let's uh, transition now and talk about the uh, Democrat non-primary challenge. Cinema uh, a couple years ago did not have a uh, a challenger in the primary, and, and Mark Kelly doesn't either. Uh, why is that healthy for the party? Why are there no? I mean, they're probably thinking that it's easier to not have that uh, you know family dispute before you try to try to take um, take on the Republican. But is that healthy for the party? Um, why has there not been uh, a challenge? With the uh, late Arizona primary, and even though we've moved it up a few weeks to early August, we still have a relatively late primary. And given that the Democrats um, still are at a disadvantage going in, that they have a registration and a turnout disadvantage that the Democratic nominee has to overcome, um, I think it maximizes the chance of a Democrat winning a statewide election not to have a primary. Um, Whether that's best for the Democratic faithful uh, to not have choices is a different question and probably a different answer. There is a theory that um, a primary is important uh, for the eventual winner to sort of get his or her political sea legs I think that might prove to be important for Mark Kelly, who's never run for anything before. I don't think it's necessarily important or, or was important for someone like Kirsten Sinema, uh, who had um, a great deal of political experience. So Mark Kelly will hit the ground running after Labor Day, uh, never having gone through the kind of um, scrutiny Uh, and 24 hours on the stage, everything you say and everything you do and everything you have ever said and have ever done, subject to the kind of scrutiny that's about to come. So um, he may turn out to be an unprepared candidate uh, for not having had a primary. Uh, But in general, I think being able to husband resources Uh, and hit the ground running uh, rather than having to recover from the wounds internally from a contested uh, primary and restock resources um, because you've emptied the till in order to win the primary maximizes the Democratic choices. And I just think the Democrats have hungered uh, to win statewide races uh, to the point that the people who might become serious candidates sort of sorted out amongst themselves. This goes back to 2014, where there were no uh, Democratic primaries for uh, state offices, um, and they fielded an all-star cast. Now, they all lost, but uh, you go back to then, where Democrats not having primaries for major offices sort of became the norm. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I would prefer to see a lot more competition just for the sake of argument. And I know, you know, there's a lot of, uh, disputes within the democratic party about, you know, the, the really strong progressive wing and the, and the more, and the more moderate wing. Um, so I mean, I, I didn't like that. I Republic- have, go ahead. 
Well, I didn't like that the Republican Party didn't, uh, you know, didn't allow a presidential uh, uh, primary. I don't like that. I know they kind of brush off uh, Demand Daniel as sort of a, you know, a a joke, but I would have appreciated having a, having a debate or you know having having more than one uh, debate between uh, between the Senate candidates that finally go off. I just I like more competition and and. Uh, would love to hear more more debates and, and exchanges of of ideas and see which one kind of comes I agree top. that that contested primaries are um, good for everyone and I have long advocated that the Arizona primary be moved to June um, the same time that the California primary is uh, and that date would give the summer for whoever wins a contested primary to heal the wounds within the party and replenish um, the political treasurer and, and give your grassroots supporters a breather before you hit the ground running after Labor Day. So I think that um, the best thing would be to have contested primaries, but have them early enough that the party that has the most contested primary races isn't penalized in terms of their likelihood of success in the general election in November. Well, we'll finish off uh, there for, for this week. Stay tuned. I'm going to try to, uh, we're going to try to get episodes out uh, every week uh, on, on uh, by Thursday evening for election 2020 uh, coverage. Uh, no promises. Uh, school's about to start back up again in, in a couple weeks, um, and going to try to try. Not going to have as much time in my hands, but we're going to try to uh, be more consistent here. Uh, you can send me questions or, or ideas on Twitter. My my handle is at Billy Rob thirty three. My direct messages are open. Um, one last question here uh, is a is a is a golf question. So, uh, one that I might actually sports question <laughs> I might actually be able to answer. So golf has been back um, for for a few weeks now. Uh, Tiger Woods is back for the first time this week. Uh, but but Bryson DeChambeau is kind of changing the game. He's bulked up. He's sitting at like three fifty uh, off the tee. Uh, do you think that he is changing the game of golf, kind of like uh, Stephen Curry changed the the NBA with a three point line, where you, where the long ball is going to rule? Well, the long ball has been ruling in golf for some time now, and golfers have gotten much stronger and more athletic uh, over time. Um, I don't think that many golfers would be willing to go through what DeChambeau did uh, in order to add 40 pounds of muscle mass um, uh, and, um, as one of his competitors said, He's got too much time on his hands. He needs to get married and have kids like the rest of us. <laughs> so, and, and maintaining it, putting that bulk on and maintaining it just requires such a singular focus that even as singularly focused as golfers tend to be, I don't, I, I think he sort of illustrates the extreme of a trend that already was well established uh, that length and athleticism are much more a part of golf than they previously were. Yeah. Who you got this week? What's that? Who you got winning this week? 
Oh, I, I never predict the outcome of golf tournaments. There's too many, um, particularly these days, there's too many um, people who can win any given week. Uh, it certainly would be highly memorable uh, if uh, Tiger Woods uh, earned the all-time PGA record at Jack Nicklaus's golf tournament. There would be a bit of um, poignancy uh, to that. Um, and uh, certainly I think a lot of golf fans will be rooting for that. And no one comes back from a long layoff um, better than Tiger. Yeah. Well, who, do, who do you have? Uh, I I actually didn't know. I wasn't. Um, I have been watching some some of the some of the tournaments, uh, but I ha- I did not know that that was the situation. That was the dynamic this week uh, at the memorial. So uh, I'll be I'll be pulling for Tiger because of that. <laughs> uh, well, thanks everyone for listening to the Political Notebook podcast. You can find us on any uh, podcasting app. Thanks. <laughs>